Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking states of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again as martial artist, street philosopher, and host of the Must Triumph Podcast, Sam Yang, joins us for a great conversation, including his bold decision to leave a lucrative financial advisory job and travel with no real destination. Your job may be bullshit, have gee will travel, and even though folks like to say it's always been this way, things do change. All right, here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, batten down the hatches, and prepare to open your mind. For the Drunken Dallas Podcast, begins now. Welcome back, everybody, to another fine episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast, episode 144. Bolelli and our pal Sam Yang will visit us very shortly, but uh, I'm going to get us through the exciting business of our fine sponsors that will help us get along the way, and that will start us this time with our friends at Datsusera, dsgear.com. Um, as you well know, they've got the cool backpacks and all the duffel bags and the great stuff like that, but this time, I was thinking of these kind of small things further deeper into the website. They've got these great wallets. They even have golf ball markers. You know, it's getting to be the season where you might need some groovy golf stuff for grandpa or somebody. And even some awesome hats. They definitely have the toques, you know, in, in a few different colors. But they also have some of those floppy, like, military hats. I can't think of the name of them right now. But they're awfully groovy as well. So, dsgear.com. Go check it out. Have goodies for all your pals out there. And that brings us to Audit. Oh, and, and IT. From an alpha brain beginning to an ever-increasing collection of all kinds of goodies dedicated to human optimization. I was checking around. They have these cool new, I, I don't even know how to really describe them. They're like a new take on medicine balls, but like fiercer than ever before. And sling those around and get your core in an excellent condition. As it is getting to be gift time, as we're saying. You know, it is November now, if you can believe that. They have kettlebells that are the heads of Iron Man. Now, how nutty is that? That's just groovy. You got to check it out. And if you really want to check out something nutty, they have a Han Solo frozen and carbonite yoga mat. <laughs> what more could you hope for? And hundreds of other fine products to check out. Just peruse it. It'll take you a bit. It's a giant website. But uh, onit.com forward slash Taoist. Check it out. Sure design t-shirts. T-shirts are only the beginning of this website. They have tons of cool graphics, and the and the fabrics come in all sorts of wild colors. So uh, it may take you a moment or even a few moments because it is a massive site as well. Just design-wise, dragonflies, mushrooms, Buddhas, yin-yangs, trees of life, onks, all sorts of crazy stuff. Not just T-shirts either. Hoodies printed on all sorts of different, you know, long sleeve, short sleeve, men's, women's. There really is a whole bunch of stuff to choose from. They even have bracelets and earrings. And, you know, fellas, if you need to find a nice gift, once again, as the gift-giving season is upon us, this is a nice way to do it. A wide, wild selection of awesome goodies. SureDesignTshirts.com. So, moving right along, 
as you are most likely to be encountering some Amazon shopping at some point as we get into November and December, we can't ask you enough to stop by and click through our Amazon portal on the Drunken Dallas website, and a small piece of your purchase will be passed along to help us defer the cost of putting the show on. And it doesn't cost you anything extra. I guess the folks that run Amazon don't need it that much, so they're glad to help out a little bit. So go to our homepage. That link is there. You click on that, and you got to remember, you click into the portal, and then you do your shopping. If you pre-shop and then click the portal, somehow it doesn't show up. So just a tiny bit of instruction for that. Thanks so much as always. A quick shout out to our friends at Never Tap Gear. Uh, they have the great knee braces that are keeping Bilelli's aging knees in a fine condition. And they also have Savannah's awesome rash guard with the Lady Samurai removing heads. Awesome stuff. Never Tap Gear. Give it a look. And also, I want to do a quick shout out to our friends at Snow Roast Coffee. They are roasting coffee somewhere high in the mountains of Colorado, mile up in the air, making delicious small batches. They literally roast it, cool it down, bag it, seal it, and send it out. Once you see it on it's being available on the internet, it's on your way in. And who doesn't want some great coffee these days? And if you use the discount code HOF18, you get 15% off. Don't forget. If you don't get there quick, you snooze, you lose, and you have to wait for the next set to get roasted out. And I'm certain they'll have some the next day. And last but not least, a quick mention to our friends at Kiva.org. Um, over 200 of your fellow listeners have done over $100,000 in loans with these guys. The money goes out. It helps the folks. They pay it back. And you lend it again. It's an amazing thing. And what's great, at this time of year, if I've said it for years, but you have a bratty nephew or, 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 or niece that probably doesn't need another thing on this planet because their room is so packed full of, you know, consumables, send them a Kiva gift card. And what's cool about that, you put $25 on it, they can do a loan with that $25, help someone out in the world, and then the money comes back. And if they're a greedy little devil, then they will cash it out and be on their way. But most likely, we're hoping that after helping somebody, um, I helped a lady with a worm farm in Paso Robles, California, because there are loans available in the United States as well now. And it just is a great feeling. The money comes back. Uh, the payback rate is incredible, like over 97%, which is way better than you can get in most places. And um, it's just a nice way to help celebrate the season of giving by actually doing some giving. And for that youngster, you know, could send them down a nice path. My kids like doing it. Maybe they will too. All right, that's plenty of that. So visit our fine sponsors. They help us keep this going. And uh, now we're going to go talk to Mr. Sam Yang. And here comes Bilelli and Sam. And me. Bye. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for another episode of The Drunken Taoist. Here we go rolling today, joining Rich and I, there's Mr. Sam Yang. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here. Sam is hosting, if you guys haven't checked it out yet, please do so now. He's hosting the Must Triumph podcast. And it's badass. I really enjoy it. I've listened to it before, but even the last few days I was just playing it. Uh, I listened to, I completely binged on your episodes in the okay. last few days. 
And um, man, every single one, I get something out of it that is like, oh, that's a perfect way to express that <laughs> concept. Oh, I love that image. Or So I'm having a blast. Yeah, if you guys, uh, one thing that I dig is that he's doing it as a one-man show. And he's doing it as, uh, you know, some episodes are 20 minutes, some episodes are an hour, some episodes are, there's not a format that he has to follow. It's kind of like follow an idea as long as you have something interesting to say, and then you leave it. And that's where it's at. So I'm digging it a lot, man. Uh, How long as uh, for people who are new to the concept of your podcast, how long have you been doing this? I started it. April, actually April 1st was the first day. Sweet. So fairly new podcast. Yeah. Um, Sweet. Do you want to tell people a little bit about the um, kind of the concept behind it? Sure. The philosophy at the roots of it all? Yeah. Uh, It started out as a blog, Mm -hmm. which is how we met. Um, And then it got to a point where maybe I was outgrowing the, the blog or maybe... I, I felt that, oh, people, they're not reading anymore. Maybe <laughs> they'd rather listen to it. Right. And I've had enough emails where, like, people were asking me, could you record this? Could I, could I just listen to this in the car? So it kind of happened organically where, okay, this is as far as I take this. Now I got to get onto the next boat. And the next boat was podcasting. Right. But I wanted to keep the same ethos that I had in the blog where, the blog itself, I, I kind of considered it blog slash art project where I wanted to also feel this is a medium. I want to explore all the, the things I could do with it. So each blog post has been different from the previous ones. Mm-hmm. So I'm applying that same technique to the podcast where uh, and I recently explained this in the podcast in my last episode, but taking the ideas from, you know, Taoism, which I think most people are now familiar with through Bruce Lee being formless. Um, so I try to have a format, even the way I speak, my tone, the music I use, mm-hmm. all of it, whether I, it's all me or I take uh, sound bites from other things or I read quotes, it's all based on the context of whatever I'm working on. Yeah. So I'm formless, but based on, I try to create like MMA. I try to use the right style for the right subject. Mm-hmm. So there's no uniform length. Um, there's no uniform style. I try to change it based on what I feel like it fits. And also it's podcast. There's no rules yet. Yep. It's, it's like early days of TV where there, there might've been certain things that were popular, but that's not the only thing that this thing has to offer. So I did an episode where it was like five minutes and I laid it over a track from, uh, an anime, like a theme song. Right. And I called it, you know, the full metal alchemist mix. Like it's the track of a song. And it's like, who says you can't do that? Yeah in a podcast because it's music and it's audio so i i I did a mix and i was thinking oh man i haven't done it yet but i was thinking i could do multiple versions of the same episode like this mix (laughs) and then release another mix so i'm also exploring what are all the the potentials of podcasting as an art form just because that's interesting to me also and there must be a niche of people who like that because they're listening so um in a way I want it to also be like a one-stop shop where, you know, instead of subscribing to 50 different podcasts, you could just listen to The Drunken Taoist, listen to mine, and that might be enough because it keeps changing. So it is listening to having multiple subscriptions in one. It's, and th- it's funny. We've kind of discovered in the six years is 
people are desperate for conversation. Mm. And even if they're not technically in the room with this, when their headphones are on and they're driving, I think it feels that way. Yeah. Because uh, folks are lonely. Yeah. I, I noticed that with Twitch. You guys familiar with that platform? No. Yeah. So it started out as a video game streaming platform where you just watch people play video games and you're, you're, you're wondering why would you watch somebody else play a video game yeah. and you just see a little square of their face playing. But th- it, it baffles me. Well, what it is, is back in the, back in when I was a kid, you would go over to a friend's house and you would play around and they would play around or you would just go over and they were greedy and they didn't let you have the controller at all and just watch them. But you're okay with that because there was a sense of community with that or you were hanging out. And so if you're just at home and you're a gamer and you're kind of a little bit lonely or you're bored, you can turn it on and you, this is, this is your friend basically. And that is how even a podcast, I'm sure they talk to you with even a certain type of ownership over you sure. as if they were your friend. Right, right. And sometimes you gotta be like, Hey, Hey, I don't know you personally, yeah, you know, yeah, but they feel like they do because they're not listening to you. Like you're a sitcom. They're listening to you as if, uh, something more intimate. Right, of course. And I think that's what you see in Twitch. I, I, that's why they have these channels that are 24-7, it's or amazing. it's just a talking head now. They're allowing that, and I think the same thing is, to your point, podcasting was kind of doing that first, and now you're seeing that in a visual medium as well. Definitely. And I think it's part of something else that you bring up in one of your episodes at one point. Actually, you bring up it multiple times, but there's this concept of some of the alienation creeping in in the kind of modern lifestyle from one's work from what one is doing you know there's this sense of there was one in particular i think it was the one entitled um what was it evgi will travel yeah was that, it? that was a long one yeah that was a long one but i think it's like it's a great one to set the philosophical tone of the podcast because mm-hmm. it explains a lot about you it explains a lot about your background it explains a lot about your outlook on things yeah and uh but yeah that was actually there are a couple of things i want to pick from that but yeah the point being there is this sense of um people live so many people and all of us at one point or another have experience and some people are stuck in it forever but so many people experience this sense of you're really a cog in a machine mm-hmm. where you're just fulfilling a function for this larger machine. There's not a whole lot personally that you're involved with that way. And when you couple that with the lack of community and loneliness, there's really the sense of what's, what's left there in your life. You know, there's not a whole lot that people wake up for in that way. But in that one, like there's something, okay, just to get into the story of that one, I don't know if, Rich, you had a chance to check that one particular episode out or not, but it's like there's it's essentially the story of how Sam uh, goes uh, the hardcore way, decide to quit his job, leave it all with no particular plan and just I've got to get on the road and go. You know? Well, there'll be a lesson there, I'm sure. Yeah. It's, it's what they call an origin story. That was my origin right. story. Episode. It's like, like old superhero scenes. Yes. So I'll, um, why don't you tell it to us? It's very fresh in my mind, so I'm going to be ready to jump in it. But probably easier if you give us a quick synopsis. But I st- beside the quick synopsis, just to get the conversation going now, but like I really strongly recommend you guys to check out that episode. It's, uh, it's awesome. It's powerful. All the other ones as well, but that probably is a great intro. Yeah, that's called Have Gee Will Travel. And what's interesting is that when I did that, I had a little bit of notoriety at the time too. Uh And I started saying that. 
and then it became a hashtag and I started seeing it around. Right, of course. And even the Ryu picture, I actually got the permission from the guy who drew that Ryu picture. Uh -huh. You see it all around, but I was floating it around about me and now you see a lot of people. I'm not saying I started all this, but I actually got permission for that yeah, one. Yeah. And, uh, but the hashtag, I'm pretty sure that came from me because when I see other people use it, I go, do you know what that's from? They're like, no. And I go, that's from a TV show. It was a play on words. Right. Have gun will travel. So I'm pretty sure I started that one. But um, it, it happened spontaneously. I used to work. The way I would describe it is if you watch Mary Poppins, they, they had the dad and he was stuffy. And so the writers were like, what's the stuffiest job we could give this guy? And they made him somebody who works at a bank. So I worked at a bank. I had that stuffy job. And then it just one day occurred to me, I should just quit. So it wasn't planned or, or that was like already I was starting to pull away from goals or planning ahead. I was, everything I disliked was that planning everything and having like, you know, I was I was in a job where I constantly had deadlines and goals and I was so sick of it. Did you spend Sunday dreading Monday? Yeah, I have this saying like. If you live for the weekends, maybe you don't like capitalism that much. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're stuck in some job that you're like, yeah. That, and that's the problem. I think that's what you hit in that episode is that tension between freedom to live the life you want mm -hmm. and jobs that largely, I mean, again, there are exceptions. You can have the perfect job and you got lucky and you won the lottery or you played your card super well and whatever that may be. But for most people... Even an okay job is an okay job. It's not exactly the most fulfilling thing mm -hmm. in their life. It's sort of, and when you think about the number of hours that you put in those jobs, you go into the dilemma that you brought up because there's a point that's hilarious in what you do in the FG will travel when you present, like when, when you tell them that you are quitting and they are like, oh, clearly you must have been recruited by another company who offered you more money. And it's like, no. And, and suddenly when you tell them no, they are like, what do you mean? It's like the only reason why leave, somebody leave a good, solid paying job is because somebody else is offering you more. If there's no more money on the table somewhere else, and they actually call HR on you to make sure that you're not having like some mental health crisis going on. Yeah. And you're, I thought that was hilarious, but I can totally fun. relate. I mean, I did four years of news out of college mm. and uh, I was a chief editor at the CBS affiliate and it was not great money, but it was consistent, and I had two kids. And one afternoon, I mean, that's an insane job. I mean, you get in, you work like crazy to get 6 o'clock out of the way. You mm -hmm. take a 10-minute break, and you jump right back in to get 10 o'clock ready. So we go in to have a 10 o'clock meeting, and I was well into it at this point and pretty tired of watching bodies come out of rivers, half-burnt children that mm -hmm. aren't dead. I mean, the stuff the photographers would shoot that would never make the air— not that I was exactly there to smell it, but I saw insane things. And for years I had done this. And going to the producer as we're getting ready, and he's like, man, I hope somebody dies because we got nothing for 10 o'clock. <laughs> and this just bell went off in my head. And I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. I mean, they're already grooming me for management. And the thought that 20 years from now I could be the news I'll director guy. in Des Moines right. or something, yeah. you know, at best. I did exactly what you said. I was like, that's it. And conveniently, they were trying to get, they had some of the staff jump ship to go to another channel. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to get everybody in the newsroom to sign non-competes. Oh. I was like, I'm not an on-air person. You're not going to own me. Not tell me I can't get a job somewhere for a year. Yeah, I'll never sign it. Mm -hmm. So all that came at once. And it was like, you know what? Bye. Uh. 
and it was insanity. And it's just like you said, I had nothing to really fall back on. But um, two days later, I was sitting on a movie set, mm. and down it went from there. Yeah, man, that's because it's a scary plant, right? Because uh, yes, that's the but problem. Sometimes with you don't money. have a choice. It's like, of course, well, that's why I say you know, dreading Sunday because Monday was coming. I mean, I would literally have anxiety all day Sunday because I knew what insanity waited for me. Yep, and I couldn't do it anymore. And to work at a bank every day, if I was one of the bank, the only thing I would think about is how do I slide the decimal in my account. <laughs> Yeah, that I would know, be like man. my or that's painful. That that's Brinks the, truck, you know, if we time this out right and I hired the right guys. Some of this image that he uses in that one that I love, 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 right? That was to me the whole episode is great, but that one image was just he says something along the lines of like, you know, the whole point of wanting money is that you want money because he gives you freedom. You know, you can do things with that money that that's amazing, that's awesome, that's great. The problem is that in order to get the money, you have to chain yourself and make yourself more of a slave to doing shit that you don't want to do until you really, all your time is being spent doing that. So yep. uh, what was your metaphor about water and pitcher? Yeah, you're, you're thirsty. What you really want is water. And you know water comes in a pitcher. So you, now you're focused on getting more pitchers, right? And then at the end, you realize I've accumulated all these pitcher, empty pitchers and I'm like dying of thirst. So you're chasing the wrong thing. And that's how you get these guys, you know, the Jeff Bezos of the world, where it's never enough, but at the same time, you don't even want to take care of your own people. What sort of sickness have you contracted at that point? I can't imagine having $124 billion in my bank, and I'm not willing to pay my employees that are getting my product out in the world enough to get out of welfare. How that's even legal in this country blows my mind, but... I mean, and the, the Walton family, same deal, billion dollars a piece and their chunk of a, a yearly set of profits. And they've got 100,000 people that don't make enough money that they don't get food stamps. How is that even possible? Well, I think the way it works is um, it's a mental addiction. Oh, you yeah. know? It's like a mental addiction in which the quote unquote oppressors are somehow the first oppressors of themselves, first and foremost, mm -hmm. along with everybody else along the way. Of course, it sucks more when you have... If you are oppressed sitting on $124 billion, it's a lot nicer than being oppressed, not being able to pay your bills for next month, for sure. The air conditioning is surely better. Most definitely. But at the end of the day, you're still a slave. You know what I mean? Because if you spend your days doing shit that you don't want to do, and I don't mean it in a nasty, judgmental, like, oh, you are a slave. No, it's like, man, I've done, and I still do, a lot of slave work that I don't really want to do. And sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes, but clearly, if given a choice, you want to be able to get away in life doing the least amount of slave labor as humanly possible. You know, so then it becomes a matter of figuring out. As long as we keep the goals clear, as long as we know that it's the water that we want and not the pitcher, then let's figure out strategies to make that happen. And you know, hardly any strategy will be perfect. I mean, if it was that easy, that is like. Just follow your passion and suddenly you're going to make a bunch of money. And it's like, yeah, thanks. That would be mm -hmm. sweet. That's usually not the way it works. So then you have to come up with plan Bs that are ideally the least amount of compromises possible. Now, when you say the least amount, there's still compromises. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, they may not even be that small. But the point is, what can you live with? You know, what is the balance between getting the water that you need versus, yeah, you need to get those damn pictures to make it happen. And when you, know? you jumped out, there was no preparation, nothing set up, just I'm out of here and going to start digging? Yeah. It, uh, well, I was writing a report 
And then it occurred to me, what's, what's the point of this? What am I even writing? Uh, you don't even need me to write this. You could have a Google add-on plugin do this for you. What am I doing? And it, I, I, I realized this isn't what I wanted. I should get out of here. Yeah. I thought better of it. So I left. I, I put in my notice that day. And uh, I gave them some time so they could find somebody else. And there was the whole exit interview thing. And they wanted to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. And, and then when that time came, I had lunch, threw a bunch of stuff in my car, and I left. And I just started driving around. So the, the, all the states I visited, it was like zigzagging because there was no destination I was going to. So it was this really random route where I was going from from state to state and city to city and some some places I would stay longer. If I liked it, they had some good food, some good training, I stayed longer. If I didn't like it, I left. I liked that I didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow and I liked that it was my personal preference to do what I wanted. Uh, this is to say though, this this is an act of freedom and the way the world works now for you to do do this freedom, you do need money, right? Mm-hmm. So I had, I was fortunate enough to have a job that paid me well. So I had savings. And also there's a lot to be said about living really frugally because yep. I don't really work that many hours. And sometimes people are like, well, how can you live like that? I'm like, well, if I live like you, I'd probably have to work more, but oh, I don't yeah. spend like you do. Right. You don't uh, need three new cars and, and just trap yourself with these. Oh, now I got these nice things, but I have payments that are going to bog mm-hmm. me down for like seven years now. Some people are signing up to do get the hot car or something. Well, and that's the problem that you get the um, everybody need to figure out what that number is for them and be realistic about it, you know, cuz it's like it it's doesn't serve you well if you're like, "Oh, I can live frugally when you really can't." You know, you need to figure out what you can actually be happy with, mm-hmm. knowing that there's no judgment and there's nothing wrong with the number growing, but of course the number growing means that unless you marry rich or win the lottery, that's you're trading freedom for that number. Marrying so, me will not help you with your money problems, I'm afraid. I've tried so many times, and yet, yes. What state were you in when you uh, were working for the bank? I was here in California. Had you? Did you grow up here? I mean, I don't. I guess we need a little more backstory. Um, yeah, I grew up here. I, I I was born in Korea. I moved here when I was very little, and then I initially lived here, and then we moved to Oregon. Mm-hmm. I lived there most of my teen years, and then I came back for college, and then I stayed, and ended up, weird roundabout way, my first job out of college was, I worked at a talent agency, working with actors, and all those things, and that was terrible, and (laughs) and then I thought better of that, and I left, and I ended up becoming a financial advisor, and that's how I ended up at the bank, was I wasn't doing the typical bank stuff, uh, working with people, trying to get them to invest their money, and from there I did some I actually worked at the bank the year I left was before the the same year that the financial collapse happened and I was working at the time before I left in mortgages because I saw I was a financial advisor but I saw the mortgage guys mortgage guys making more money than me so uh, I the nice thing about the bank is you could transfer divisions and you don't have to go to a different company so I told them hey put me over there they're making better money than me so I'd rather be over there, and then, and then I think that really helped wake me up because I saw what was coming. Yeah, I saw what was coming, I, and I was clearly I was not 
it was actually, it's not so clear because most of us don't, most of us like to think that we're always the hero, but it occurred to me, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm the villain of this story because you have this bias of the self. So you always think you're the protagonist or, and, and you are the protagonist of your story, but that doesn't necessarily, you could be the a villain could be the protagonist of a story. Right? So I realized I wasn't really helping people. I was, I might, I might, I'm, I felt that I was a cog in some great disaster that was about to happen. So I left. I, and I think that was that I had an inner inkling of it, you know, the, the zeitgeist. Uh, a lot of us in the banks knew, like, at least a year or two ahead that something bad was going to happen. What well, was all the ninja loans and the insanity of that going on at the moment? I remember I moved here in 2006, and we were in Thousand Oaks, so it was the capital of... Oh, my house just went up $400,000. I better mm -hmm. get a bigger house and an RV and a ski-doo and all this shit. And the, uh, one of my sons was in Boy Scouts at the time. And one of the guys there was the risk assessment manager for Countrywide. Mm. And he was the most uptight, freaked out son of a bitch I've ever met in my life because he knew what was coming. And they kept piling it on. Yeah. And got away with it. Yeah. And got bailed out. Yeah. That's one thing that always freaks me out. That's very, this one is, I mean, again, I come from a Western capitalist country, so it's not that it's that much of a different system. But one thing that is very different is the willingness in US to take on debt. Because it's like, ah, it's not really debt. You know, it's like you can do things that it helps you generate wealth. It helps you do this other thing. And I'm like, dude, you're digging a deeper and deeper hole that if, anything doesn't pan out exactly the way you want or if you have the day when you wake up and say this is not for me this is killing me i need to get out yeah now you can't because you just dug such a deep hole with depth that you really can't step away well sadly folks don't have a choice anymore i mean when nobody's had a raise in 25 years and you just keep grabbing these cards at 22 percent it's like, a disaster. I'll give you an example though in terms of mentality right um when i when i did college um I stayed as long as I humanly could in community college because it was, of course, a lot cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. I took every available unit possible, maximum transfer amount to the last digit, right? Then when I went to UCLA, I realized, A, it cost a damn lot of money to go there. So what can I do? And I was like, okay, I have so many units that I still need to do. But UCLA, as well as many other universities, have this thing that they don't, you don't pay by unit like community college. Mm. You pay by full-time or part-time. And when you're full-time, you can take as many units as you want, right? Of course, there's a point on which you go insane because it's too many, right? So I was like, okay, the first quarter, I'm not going to go too insane. Oh, it turns out I did well. Okay, I can up a little. And what I would do by the end, like I did all of UCLA basically in four quarters, right? Because I had so many transfer units before. And the whole point of doing it that way was I don't have the money to spend on this shit. You know, I don't mm. have, and I don't want to take loans. I just don't want to walk away with student loans where I'm completely fucked afterward having to spend three years doing some shitty job I don't want to do to forget three years. People spend decades paying back their student loans. Well, especially in those two years are history again, math again, English classes, all yeah, those sort of I things mean, that you can take anywhere. Totally. And so what I would do is like, I would pack insane quarters, right? I did a quarter of like 24 units or something completely insane like that. And the point being, then I would take a leave of absence because of course mm. you can't do 24 units 
three quarters a year, you go insane, you know? So I would do 24 <laughs> years. So it's like for the next 10 weeks is war from the second I wake up to the second I go to sleep. I'm just going to kill it, right? There's no time for anything. Just go, 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 mm -hmm. go, make it happen. At the end of that 10 weeks, okay, take a leave of absence, spend two months doing something else, clear your brain, uh, reset a little. And then we go back for another 10 weeks like that. And in that way, I got like in one quarter, I could get done what other people did in two. In two quarters, I had a year and a half of somebody else's stuff. And so that's why I was able to wrap it up super fast because it's like, yeah, I don't really have that option of sticking around and just play. Because it's like, again, either you have the money or you don't have it and then you're taking loans. And I don't like, well, one is not a choice and the other one, I don't want to do it. Mm. And there's no mention on the diploma that uh, three quarters of this was taken at the community college either. No, because it's like there's a certain amount that you are allowed to transfer. And I went to the maximum possible within that amount. And then the remaining, you do it over there, but you do it in a different kind of way. And I thought it was weird because I would talk to most other people. And, you know, a bunch of college students don't are not they don't all have rich families or they don't all have opportunities. But it's like that concept was really foreign to most people because it's like, well, I mean, I don't want to take a loan, but sure, you can take a loan. And in my mind, it's like, no, you don't. It's like, you do not take a loan on pain of death, you know? And it's like, now, I'm not that extreme. Of course, there are cases where it makes sense. But for me, for my mindset, I was just like, I get sketchy in all those cases, you know? Even like, yeah, cars to me is like, I'll, I'll have whatever money I can to pay for a car, like drug dealer style, show it up with a bag of <laughs> cash. You know, it's like, if I don't have that money, that car is something I can't afford. You know, is I will pay for the car that I can afford in cash right now. Anything beyond that, that means it's not for me, you know? And that has been because precisely for this reason that I feel that otherwise those are in the name of getting yourself something cool, you just made those chains one inch thicker and they are getting thicker and thicker and heavier and they are harder to break. And I'm like, yeah, the least humanly possible of that. Or, or you know, you see, I know people who have money and like 20 years later, they are still on basically payment number one on their house. Because in the meantime, they have refinanced and they have gotten mm. something else and they have done this thing. And I'm like, Dude, with all the money you have made, you are still nowhere, anywhere close to not even finishing, but even really beginning to touch your principal on a house. And you're like, man, you're one injury away from being completely fucked. And I was just like, I don't know. Some people, again, this is personal choice, right? For me, I find it scary and I find it weird. It's like, it's not something that I'm comfortable with because I feel that the danger is too high. But in any case, back to the, the journey process of it all. So you spent a bunch of time traveling around and essentially, I like your priorities. If there's good food and the training is good. So a lot of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, a lot of, was that mainly Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, MMA, sometimes it was, a, and they would have strength and conditioning programs. I would okay. just, I had time. I didn't have TV, so I would just stay there all day right. if they let me. And, you know especially the places that let me train for free, then I took advantage of, of it course. and I stayed there all day. And a part of another way I funded this uh, wasn't actually through credit cards. I had, like I said, uh, I had savings, but also people, this was before Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. 
And people started like sending me money. That They're, is so sweet. So I was writing, I, I was blogging about it back then. I was writing a lot of Yelp reviews. So it was like people on Yelp were reading about it. People uh, in the jiu-jitsu community were uh, reading about it. And they got invested in it where they didn't even, some of them didn't want me to leave the road and just stay there because in a way, I, I was something symbolic for them. There, yeah. there was some symbolic value for me being out there for them. So they would send me money. Or I would go somewhere, people would let me stay for free, buy, they would buy me food. But literally, sometimes people gave me cash money to keep going on my journey. That's beautiful. Um, that is awesome. Because it's like, I can't do it, but I love that dream. So, hell, I'm glad somebody else. There's a bit of living vicariously there through that. Did you cast your insurance aside, your health insurance? Or did you hold on to it during this? Oh, I didn't have my insurance at the time. And I didn't even... I learned the hard way about what happens back then because this was before, you know, what, whatever people's feelings are about the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare, mm -hmm. there was one really important legislation that changed with it that af could affect anybody that trains martial arts, which is the pre-existing uh, injury yeah. or a condition clause. So what I didn't know back then was that because I always had insurance through my work. Okay, when I'm ready to get insurance again, I'll get it. No problem. And I got denied. Because what happens, the way the law was back then, is if you don't immediately sign up for an insurance, mm -hmm. they will look up your medical records again, and then they could deny you. So I've been training since I was six. So I had a ton of injuries. So they said, well, because you have, and these are big insurers, so because you have, you have these, we see these x-rays, you have all these injuries, you can't get insurance. Wow. Madness, isn't it? Yeah, that is so fucked up. Because you're not even talking about, you have... Yeah, that's insane. And then yeah, that's how the well world to do was. people fight against that for the rest of the country is truly insanity. Yeah. I mean, it's far from perfect, but you're right. The Affordable Care Act set people free. Yeah. Where you could go, I know better than anybody. Well, at least there is a possibility of being able to get insurance and that alone and not have to be hooked to some giant corporation was amazing. That's why I understood why people were getting Cobra because I was like, why would you get Cobra? It's so much more expensive. Way more expensive. Like just triple. wait and then wait till you work somewhere else or wait till you get it on your own. Yeah. And it's, it's just gap coverage so that you have that in between insurances yeah. so they don't look up your... I mean, they're aware that you have something, but they can't deny you because you've been covered the whole time. The whole time right. Whereas if you take a break, suddenly you could get completely denied. Yeah. Yeah, that's insane. So I learned that the hard way. So I... I didn't have insurance for years while I was training. And that always made me nervous because it had to. Yeah. And then once uh, the law changed, I was able to get insurance again. So forget about like whether, you know, the government pays for it or all that stuff. Just the fact that now I could get insurance again on my own. Yeah. That was huge for me. Definitely. And again, that's the problem with when you train. There's no telling when you catch an elbow no, to the nose. Of and, course there's weird shit mm -hmm. can and will happen. It's just, so yeah it's very training without insurance is scary because yeah. uh, again you train without insurance in another country where you have free health care no big deal you train without insurance here yeah good luck if you know people who train right and they're older not even that much older they're in their late 30s 40s sometimes Ooh, old no no what i mean is you'll <laughs> find people in their late 30s or 40s you have to get knee replacements or hip replacements and a lot of times you realize, oh, it's because they didn't have insurance when they initially got the injury. Yep. Yep. So they tore something and they just let, had to let it going. go yep. instead of getting proper treatment. 
Yeah, in fact, it's funny because a lot of that stuff, you get it done for that reason. It's not because you really need to go that hard. You need to go that hard because you haven't been able to take care of it earlier on when it's kind of the opposite of the Taoist approach, right? Where you you see the problem coming when it's small and you nip it in the bud and so you never have to use that much energy. This is the exact opposite. Is you can't nip it in the bud because you don't have the means to. So it grows, 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 grows. And by the time you have to take care of it, it's a huge deal. Yeah. yeah. And, and the math for an entire country is if you would take care of these things early on, we would save billions of dollars from the people that have to wait yeah, eight prevention. years till you just have to get it done. The prevention is always better. Yeah. yeah, but of course, those billions of dollars do go in somebody's pockets and they get to be translated into political influence and they get to be translated in whatever system keeps the money coming in will be one that we can put billions of dollars behind and keep supporting. You make it sound like the but, U.S. might be an oligarchy or something. Yeah, there was. A, did you see that study? That was funny. We saw there was... Um, I saw this article and I mean, it wasn't the most obvious, dumb moment ever. They did this study about figuring out essentially how much influence does the average person has on the political process, how much influence does somebody who has a ton of money. And it was coming out obviously and plainly that money buys you influence, that, you know, the very, very top, particularly uh, special interest groups, but even private citizens, but mainly the special interest groups. That's who get the legislation they want done, whereas a bunch of things, even if they have monstrous widespread support yeah, among the average Americans, if they don't have the support of the top 2-3%, it's not going to happen. And so it was kind of like, it was a mathematical proof of showing, yeah, this is an oligarchy, you know, this is, and again, it's, it's a very dumb moment because it's kind of like, yeah, you didn't probably didn't need a super complicated study to find out. It's pretty obvious that it is, but because it's, uh, it is a harsh statement to make, you know, when you are saying that a system that we live in that, you know, in many ways is even cool for us, there are some good things about it. When you stare at the fact that, yeah, this is an oligarchy and it's not an hyperbolic statement, this is not saying ah, an oligarchy, what they are really saying is that it's like, no, no, that's what it is. When you state it, in some way you do need a study that makes it very black and white for it so that there's not even an argument. That's just a starting point of a conversation. It's not something that you need to get to. And that sent me down a rabbit hole to another article that says for every three or four dollars that are paid out in a sort of welfare payment, the government spends $4,000 paying other types of contracts. Yeah. So it's just incredible the yeah. outlay and you're going to complain about this tiny one hundredth of a percent. Well, my this is actually segues well because my newest episode that dropped this weekend is titled Trolling Capitalism. Your job might be bullshit. And I cover <laughs> all of this. And you said sometimes you need studies to explain this. And in that episode, I'm actually trying to explain it in what, you know, we talked about this before where I describe myself as a street level philosopher. Mm -hmm. So I try to explain it street level. And the reason why I use that term instead of terms other people use is twofold. Because you could take it as street as in practical stuff sure. that you could use in real life. And that's one aspect of it. But secondly, there is actually very hardcore big ideas in, in philosophy and political theory that people need explained so that isn't necessarily you would consider part of practical philosophy like the deep inquiry part of philosophy or political theory and i try to explain that in a way that everybody can get yeah so street level is actually a term from activism where there's eyes on the street sure so a lot of people have ten thousand foot view they, they don't know what's going on yeah. the man on the street view of course and so that's another reason why these are the things that the man on the view 
uh, would appreciate. And also, th- I'm going to explain you ideas in a way that the man on the street can understand. Yep. So I broke down a lot of the stuff we're talking about. I'm breaking it down where you're talking about studies and you're sensing something's off. And I tr- try to really explain to you what is it that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And this is where the idea and David Graeber who's an anthropologist talks about this, but it's not just him. There's a lot of people who have been noticing this where a lot of what we take, we think capitalism is so efficient, but there's a lot of bullshit jobs where just people are getting paid to write emails about emails and have meetings about meetings because they have, they have yeah. that money to burn. Yeah, absolutely. So that money needs a use, right? We think government is bad at, to your point earlier about how much the government pays. Here's the other thing. When a lobby gets a defense contractor, right? The defense contractor is never going to give the government a deal. They'll sell you $1,000 bullets because the person working on the government side of it used to work for that company of course. and will be like, oh, you, they'll never say, oh, this is too much. Yeah. Right? So we're always, we need to spend money on defense and all this stuff. Maybe, but they're ripping you off. Yeah. They're never going to give you a discount. In fact, they will overinflate everything. The contractors will say this is the price and the government won't come back. It's like, that's too much. They'll just pay it. Yeah. We found out when we were doing, this was six years ago, but even then, by the time a bullet got into a soldier's gun in Afghanistan, they were $7 a piece. Every time he pulled the trigger one time, it was $7. Yeah. Because they'd get a deal. Oh, yeah, we'll make them for you for $0.28 a piece. But you have to have a special carrying case, and then you have to have this thing, mm-hmm. and then it's got to fly, and then it's got you know a boat to there, and then it's on a helicopter. It's just insanity. And so, you're right. It's always, always no cut on the rate card for the government. There's this, like, what you were saying, and, and there's a feeling I got from what you were saying, is that we have to feel like, I should say that this country is great, and there's all these good things, because we live in, quote-unquote, capitalism. And what I'm positing is that we don't. We live in feudal capitalism because in real capitalism, capitalism is based off of competition, competitive markets. So that would mean the the richest kid has to compete against the poorest kid. It has to be like sports. You can't have like, oh, your dad was varsity, so you're going to legacy in. If you can do that, that's not capitalism. That's not survival of the fittest. So all these things that we think uh, that we have, we don't have. There's so much inefficiency in this where you could have somebody who's a mental nitwit, but born from to a billionaire of course right this is a meritocracy they could be in a position to run a lot of stuff yeah whereas this person who's a genius who comes from an average home can never get that same power the difference that capitalism brought was that it was supposed to make it a level of playing field where everybody had to compete royals Mm -hmm. versus this Mm -hmm. that was the utopian idea and that never happened people think that we live in this true capitalism because we use money capitalism can't take credit for money that's called exchange of value that idea existed way before capitalism. I mean, gold, right? right? What we had before capitalism, and this was Adam Smith, uh, through Wealth of Nations, uh, really popularized the ideas of what we now take as capitalism. But before that, we still had trade. We still had money. It was that prior period was called mercantilism, right? What Adam Smith was saying that you should let capital move freely. So meaning get rid of the tariffs, get rid of all these things that, that, or, or, and even uh, serfdom, right? Let, because capital also includes us, the labor market. Yep, yep. So let us move freely from job to job. This is going to increase uh, productivity and all this stuff. No more serfdom, no more, no more. Actually, to your point earlier about credit, that all started from serfdom because there came a point where you couldn't 
earn a living for yourself unless you worked the land for, and you didn't own land so you worked it for somebody else but you didn't get paid enough to buy your own stuff so you would borrow land, money from the landowner Waiting and that actually harvest, yeah. and that actually became the start of what we now know as our credit system so what we think as borrowing money to give us freedom in a sense gets you deeper into debt oh. and this isn't like me this is a socialist talk you listen you read any book on classical liberalism or uh, anarcho-capitalist they said the same thing too so actually like a lot of socialists and a lot of anarcho-capitalists they saw the same problem they just had different solutions but they see the same problem whereas people who are on the left and right they they kind of see this left-right paradigm where the anarcho-capitalists and the socialists saw it as a top versus bottom paradigm so the people I, you know, who are playing left and right think they're on different teams, but it's like, you know, compared to an anarchist or compared to this other guy, yeah. you know, like compared to an anarchist, a Republican is a statist. And yeah. compared to the other way, you know, the other person is like mm-hmm. uh, a neoliberal, what they would call, right? I so. can't believe you said feudalism. I literally read an article four days ago, and it was the dawn of neo-feudalism. Yeah. And welcome to it. And it's just amazing to hear these people demonize socialism but folks sure like their social security they don't seem to mind the police department in the fire department or the library and i think that's what's funny is that people use these terms like they exist in a black and white world yeah. the reality is that it's all part of a continuum is not uh, there's a capitalist system versus a socialist system yeah i mean yeah you do find uh, the soviet union or you do find those are rare most of the time is a mix it's always a mix of, you know, heavy government spending versus more market. And is where exactly do you draw the balance? So it's, they make it sound like there are these opposite teams fighting with different flags. The reality is that you're just talking about where in that weird mix that's kind of these, you take from different ideas, where exactly do you decide that you drop the pin? Do we drop it 50-50 or 70-30 or 13-70? But it's, it's not a like take us of course there's a gazillion things that are based on a system that's very much socialist in nature you know all the you like the military that's by definition that's a system in which you pay taxes and it gets to be rebuilt into also that, if yeah. you ran the country like the military that is straight up communism the yeah state exactly. is, that's exactly. what's so weird is because if you look at a communist military and ours yep. they run exactly the same because yep. th- that is how it works oh they, here's your talents straight to the boot factory for you or straight to the front line for you because that's yes. what we have figured is good for us through you so it's weird that there's this love of a system that basically is communism. Yep. And then you send them to go around the world to fight communism. I always thought that was very, but very I, funny. I grew up, I was an army brat. And growing up through it, it was amazing because healthcare-wise, everything was covered. And it was never, I mean, the thought that people couldn't go to the dentist kind of blew my mind. Because they would just line the kids up in the same place all the troops were going to. And there'd be 40 dental chairs and they just crank it out. And the fact that it's not available to people, I just didn't understand it for a while. I think a lot of it is not only um, that we are nuanced and people have, have different complex views on things, that's part of it. And I have heard that a lot. People have mentioned that, you know, and that is an important part is nuance. But the second thing is also people don't know what these terms are. 
They'll yeah. say these buzzwords like capitalism, and then you ask them, what is it? And yeah. they, they might have a hard time explaining it. Same thing with socialism, or same thing with what is liberalism, or what is, what, what is a Republican versus a Democrat, or what is a republic? Yeah. What do we have right now? So it, it's, people don't even have relative reference points to figure stuff out. And so because they don't know, they base it around... Who's the crowd I like? That's, yeah, this course, is the of kind course, of the of kind of, that's, that that makes it easier. Like the church, I think is a great example. Where uh, when I was in high school, there was all these like church clubs, and a lot of the people would go to the church that had the prettiest girls. They didn't know how this church A was different from this other church B. Yeah, they didn't, cause, but they all did have different ideologies. They they were just more brought in by oh the guitar guy is a cool guy, the girls are pretty. They they were brought in by the crowd, and that's. I relate to that guy. They'll even say that's the person I can have dinner with. Yeah. So you're not going in there because of the principles. No. You're going in there because that fits your crowd, even if their principles sometimes goes against your principles or you haven't even fully defined your principles yet. Which or, is what happens a lot, right? Or and their principles like, are completely incoherent. Yeah. Well, their after-service brunch is amazing, man. Yeah. You don't get it. It's funny. Have you read Thomas Pinkerty's Capital book? Oh, from back in the day? Well, this it's only about three or four years old at this point, but it's a French guy, and uh, he's essentially saying, like, the imbalance is so crazy now that pharaohs wouldn't even dreamt of the wealth that some of these no. billionaires have now. And it always comes, and we say it a lot, you know, well, it's always been that way, is what people love to say. But that doesn't mean it always has to be that way, does it? I mean, as humans, at some point, we're going to have to take a few more steps off away from the trees and either go forward or destroy ourselves. It well, seems that idea, what you're saying, has always been that way, is called reactionary. And you'll see, actually, a lot of the kids now who are like in their 20s and below, they're smarter about a lot of these ideas because maybe they're teaching each other through memes, sure. right? So I'll see all these philosophical, political memes, and one of the things they're making fun of is reactionary politics. So what that is is what you were saying, where you want to keep things status quo. So you always say, well, what do we need to change anymore? It's always been like this. Right. Right. And and so you always bring it back to what they call the status quo ante. We're just going to ante it back to the way it was because we don't need to change anything because nothing has changed. It's always been like this. But things change because they build off of the last thing. So it's not necessarily if you were going to use a visual visualization in your head, it's not so much that it's circular. It's more of a spiral because it does go in these cycles, but each cycle builds on the last cycle. Like. So you're moving upward as you, you talk about danger, through. right? Yeah, there's always been danger. There's always been weapons. Yeah, you you had knives and then you went to guns and you have nukes. You can't say that a nuke is the same level of danger as a knife. It it spiraled, uh, it's circling, and and things are uh, kind of going back to peace and and violence. But it is building off of the technology of the past. So it's getting more and more. The magnitude has changed. So. The same thing, the problems are, we've had these cycles of problems, but they've built off of the problems in the past. So they're new in their level of magnitude. So when we just dismiss it as like, oh, it's always been like that. No, man, we didn't have, we didn't have self-driving cars before. We didn't have Bitcoin before. Yes, we had gold, we had exchange of value, but these th we can't dismiss these things as being completely old. And it's funny you say that because I think Bellelli told me years ago that when the crossbow came out, people was like, oh, this is the end. Uh, right. No, in fact, it's, it's how it is, right? It's like certain 
as much as it's true that you can use history to learn from the past, there are sometimes challenges in the present that have no parallel whatsoever in the past where you're like, yeah, good luck figuring out, you know, a world in which we have internet is a world that's completely different from anything that anybody could have conceived 30 years ago. Yeah. So there's no frame of reference for how somebody else handled it because it's nothing like anything that ever happened before. And in that sense, back to, I guess, that concept of using different tools. So these old bullshit fights between capitalism versus socialism or whatever ism, you know, it doesn't even matter. To me, it's like the equivalent of uh, 1992 martial arts where you talk about, you know, it's all about punching. That's what wins fights. No, it's about taking the fight to the ground. It's, to me, it's like equivalent of listening to that, of people who are so blinded to one idea that is like, yeah, punching works well. Also kicks sometimes. Occasionally I've knocked out a few people. And guess what? You can also need to wrestle and you need... And it's not an all-or-nothing approach. It's, these are tools, and you just need to figure out in what measure they are healthy and they work, and in what measure they deliver. If you do try to be in an MMA context and all you ever done is punch, and you never did a single day of wrestling or jujitsu or kicking, you'll get slaughtered, and you will be horrible. And the results, and the more you dig in the ELC and this is the way to go forward, the worse the results that you will come up with. So to me, the argument is like, how about you just use whatever tool is there and figure out in what measure? Because nothing is going to be nothing is going to be pure poison if you touch it or perfect in all solutions. It's going to be a matter of figuring out, okay, how does this tool serve me? And at what point this tool is just stupid and produce bad results, you know? Well, l- let me connect all these disparate ideas together now. Because what you were saying about before and even my journey. Right. I was this cog and you felt like that before. We've all felt like this before. And now you're talking about this idea of using different tools. Mm -hmm. MMA, we're mixing all these different ideas and we have to think about it that way. But if you're a whole adult life or even actually starting at school, you've always been ground down where you have to be very specialized. You were this cog. You only knew how this part of this thing worked. And now but the world needs you to be able to think about all these different things at the same time, yep. we our brains are capable of it, but, but we've been trained not to. So we'll just pick one thing. Absolutely. Because if you say, what about kicking, punching, whatever, that's too many things. At my work, we're like George Jetson. I only press this one button. What do you mean yeah. there's like five other buttons? So it's almost like the difficulty just happens, not because we're just ornery, but we've been conditioned. So we're, you're talking about capitalism. It's hard to even challenge it because the, that system is the one that makes it harder to conceive of anything outside of that. So self-perpetuating. Yeah, and it's a lot easier to get into those discussions, right? X equal good, Y equal bad. That's pretty simple. It appeals to that caveman factionalist yes. mentality. Whereas when you say, okay, it's going to be a balance of X, Y, and Z, and whatever the hell else, and we have to tinker to figure out what's the correct balance for this situation, which may have to radically change in the next situation, that's asking people to do a lot of work. Yeah. It's so much easier to just say socialism, evil, capitalism, evil, or whatever the fuck, you know? It's yeah, like yeah. To just have this completely broad statement that are not reflective of reality, rather than seeing how do I use it? Because that's the other problem of you know, Taoist thinking is that 
not only things are not black and white and you need multiple different elements to mix, but that particular mix and you just came up with the perfect mix, right? Okay, now go do it again because the next day the situation may not be the same that you just solve right now. You solve one situation. You figure out the right mix in that, at that time in that place. In a different time and place, that mix may be completely different. It's kind of like back to MMA metaphors. It's like you are coming up with a great game plan to fight somebody who is primarily a striker and you try to apply that same game plan in fighting somebody who is the world champion jiu-jitsu mm-hmm. guy. It was great in case A, it gets you killed in case B, you know, and it's like, so even, it's not even as quote unquote easy as saying it's not black and white. There's no one ideology that of all the answer you need to mix them, but you have to mix them over and over and over again. There's no done. No, there's no No. done at all. That's actually part of why I don't like goals because we live in what they call an infinite game. Mm Mm-hmm. There's no deadline. Nope. There's no end date. You you just play to play another day. Yep. And that's to the point you're making. You're making that thing so that you can have another day, yep. you know, another opponent. Yep. It, it, this thing doesn't end. And we're so used to thinking of everything so thin sliced that we don't know how to think about things in this broader Taoistic way. And you want to see that in real life. Even in children, you'll see that when we're talking about multiple ideas, Literally, what are we talking about? If you wanted to see that in school, it's called algebra. So two plus two, that's arithmetic, right? That's one idea. Yeah. Now I put a parentheses around that and put it next to another two plus two and I multiply them. Now we're, when you have two math equations in the same equation, that's called algebra, mm-hmm. which is basically two different thoughts that you have to think of together in a broad holistic yep. thought. And that's when you start, you start getting people, you start losing people. They're like, no, I don't want to do that. Let me just think about that one equation, two plus yeah. two. Yeah. And that is, the world is algebra. It's always these multiple parentheticals you have to kind of think of together. And then once you think you have that down, now you have to adapt and think about it this other way. But I, that, is the, that is straight up real. And that is the difficulty. And people have a hard time navigating that. But I think because they unconsciously recognize that i think that is why your podcast is popular or podcasts are in general popular they're filling this space where people earlier we talked about loneliness but there's also the searching for like Mm -hmm. help me through this yeah so they're looking for these voices on the internet that are helping them and that's good and bad because there's a vacuum and in a vacuum and we've talked about this in a vacuum Bad ideas are better than no ideas or, or bad advice is better than no advice. Right. So then who knows what somebody great like like uh, Daniele can like get your ear and give you some good advice or you could find some neo-Nazi on YouTube and start listening to them. He's happy to give you advice for sure. Well, but, and that's the problem that sometimes you get people who have a very convincing voice who are very assertive in their mm-hmm. message, so they come across as a charismatic speaker. Especially in the wrong moment for somebody. Mm. They And maybe, and here is where it gets trickier, maybe they do have good ideas. So it's not that it's all like straight up evil, just well-spoken evil. It's a weird mix where, hey, this he was right about that, and he was right about that too. And look at that, that's actually a good idea. So clearly it must be a good, I can buy it in all, and the other 85% that you're buying with it is just, pure poison yeah and you're like no yes that one percent was good that other one percent was good i can even give you 15 that were good 
but everything else that go with it is not and but when you're lost and you're looking for something to guide you once you find something that's working then there's the tendency to think that the whole package is a good package and that's how usually you end up with horrendous ideas getting very popular i love the notion like you were talking martial arts in 92 and how that has morphed yeah. in 25 years society has added this technology that nobody even would have dreamed of in 92 mm -hmm. and we're now learning in real time yep. I and mean, we are stumbling through this before we even know what the hell we have our hands on whenever you have a new technology the first group to do it are the worst at it like the first group to drive they were the shittiest drivers yeah and then it takes time for people to get better and then you get race car drivers and whatever so you have this generation of people using the internet and social media they're they're the cavemen with it and then later on a couple generations down they'll get the hang of it they won't freak out they it'll just be like tv okay i know how to turn it on and off i don't need to go crazy about this thing but the the there was a point both of you guys were making uh two different points but you were talking about how people can be brought in with some good ideas and then but it's mixed in it's like poop mixed with uh, ice cream yeah, you know absolutely but then you were saying about sometimes maybe these people are vulnerable so they or they're coming in in a time where yeah. they're lost so even normally on your good day you could see through this how do you find me or daniele to somebody really awful you start searching, you start Googling. And when do you do that often? Is when you're at this, you're lost, you're like really vulnerable. Yeah. So we, we tend to absorb things passively, but when we're really depressed or low or whatever, then we'll actively start searching. And, and then we'll find people when we're not in our strongest minds, when we're not at our clearest. So that's the second part of it is that we're vulnerable, plus they're mixing they're mixing ice cream with their shit. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, the terrifying collection of folks that hook their internet uh, responses to, what can I do now? You know, yeah, these desperate cries. I'm sure there's people that are very wisely, when that shows up, I want to be a part of that response on the search engines. Well, and that's why cult leaders and dictators are popular because they fulfill a need that people have for answers and when they are dead and again if you are people think that the cult leader or the dictator is the kind of toward the mustache evil villain in uh, james bond style it's like most of the, again these are not stereotypical characters they are we can think of like even just when we say the words cult leader of dictator we think you know oh so messed up in every possible way yes but these are people that are fulfilling the needs, that they do some good for some people at the price of fucking them up 10 times more. It's kind of like becoming addicted to painkillers. It's sort of the same thing. It's like, it does fulfill a need. Man, that feels good when you need it. So it's not that is Because if it was that simple, that is like, why would anybody sign up for something so terrible? Well, it, because it feels good at first. Because there's something good there. There's some initial thing there that is what hooks you in which is when you are desperate whether physical in pain or emotional in pain or vulnerable is something that scratches that itch that give you that feeling of ah oh, finally i can breathe you know it gave me that wow this is amazing so now i want more and your critical function decreases even further because it just worked for you it, it did help you it worked and of course, you go deep enough down that rabbit hole, it turns out now you have an opioid addiction or now you just signed up to be a cult mm -hmm. member or now you are. So the end result is not good, but it's kind of that 
you know, what it is that story, I don't know if it's even remotely true, that you can, uh, a frog will never jump out of boiling water if you are just one degree at a time. It happens gradually. It doesn't, nobody become a hardcore Nazi from being a melonized person overnight just no. in one second. It's like you start one thing that doesn't work with the existing paradigm. And you're right, man. And those guys are actually raising a good problem with the existing situation. So if I buy this idea, maybe I can buy the next one that's not totally budget crazy. And then the next. And then 10 ideas down, your down is I want my ethno state. There's why genocide. And you're like, okay, we took it a little too far there. You're you know? suddenly like, at the garden center buying a tiki torch. Yeah, there's a bit of a problem there. But it's, the, it's, kind of, it's exactly how addiction works. You know, nobody, the effects of addiction are horrible on the body. Nobody sign up to feel crappy the way you do when you are a real addict. But you do it on little increments of pleasure and things that fulfill you. And when you add too many of those in the wrong direction, it leads you in a very bad place. Well, you see people online. And I was just thinking about this the other day where I probably have never spent any time online where I defended somebody I only knew through the internet, some internet celebrity. And it's not because I don't like anybody. There's a ton of people I, I like, but at the end of the day, who gives a fuck if you talk about them? That's not my dad. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. Whereas people online will spend time defending somebody, even if that means attacking their dad. Right. And how did that happen? And, and, and we think about, is it just them? You look at some kind of charismatic person who pulls somebody in, and is it just them? And I don't think so, because the reason why you got well, person A got pulled in and person B didn't isn't because this person is flawed in their ability to pull people in. It's just that person A solicited it, mm -hmm. meaning they actively search for somebody. If you're not somebody yeah. searching for it, then it's not going to you're not going to be as receptive to it. Oh, that guy didn't show up at your door and say, hey, start listening to me. You sought him out. Yeah. That's already what makes that person more susceptible. Yep. And that's what makes that other person who's not searching for that not as susceptible. And they'll never understand each other because yep. it started even before this guy showed up where this other person was like actively searching for something. That's and a that scary notion, man. It's, you don't know anything about this person for real, but they press the right buttons when you needed them pressed and yep. off you go. I think when you're lost is when you have to be most at, most at your sharpest, most skeptical about yourself most about why am i doing this why am i looking yep. for something what am i really looking for yeah because you're so vulnerable that i ha i like the saying where your mind gets you get so open-minded your brain falls out yeah and that's the scary part right because that's, that's great. it's the one place where great things can happen when you're not stuck in a particular mindset and you do make yourself vulnerable and open right that's the place where all good things happen is also the place where horrible things happen yeah you're just kind of stepping out into the unknown in a way that it could really work out either way yeah. or somewhere in between there's no uh, so it's tricky because it's like oh in that case i just never make myself vulnerable and then you're okay it's like no not really then you're just stuck to an ideological jail where you were to begin with you need to do that, but it comes with tremendous risks. It's like the grizzly man. He put himself with the grizzlies, put himself at, at, at risk, and they were okay with it. Yeah. And then he did it again, and they ate him. Yep. You know, you, you, I put my arms to my side, and I was like, I put myself vulnerable in the dojo, yeah. and my master might give me a hug, or 
He might take my back and choke me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that's, the, that's what happens when you're vulnerable. Something really good can happen, like an embrace happens when you're vulnerable, or you get eaten by a, a bear when you're vulnerable. And that's why even when you're vulnerable, you have to at least recognize that I am actively putting myself out there and I'm trusting you. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Versus I don't realize that I'm vulnerable. I'm just mad. I'm upset. This guy is saying stuff that I like, you know? Sam, one thing. So we talk about your origin story, about how uh, you ended up quitting, going on the road, doing this. Well, now you're not on the road. You still have a gi, but you're not on the road. Yeah, and I'm still kind of on that philosophical spiral. I never got out of that. What? Tell us about your life now. What's going on today? Um, doing the podcast a lot uh, and trying to grow that. I work... I try to work like as little as possible. So I, I'm work, spending a lot of time on the podcast. And then in the mornings till around like 11, I do, I work with some people, do some private training. So if anyone from like martial arts to personal and some, actually some people, they just come in and uh, they'll sit down with me and we'll just have like a philosophical counseling meeting where I'm not like doing therapy. Sure. I'm teaching them about philosophy, but it's more about like this one-on-one tutoring. Yeah. And then they seem to benefit. It seems to give them more clarity in their life. And I live really frugally. And on top of that, my time in financial advising and even before, because I always had, I had an interest in economics. So I've always been dabbling in the stock markets and things like that. So that's also part of the reason why I don't have to work yeah. nine to five while I'm doing the podcast stuff. So, so you bought that Amazon stock in 97 when it was a buck 50. <laughs> I can, I can neither admit nor deny. <laughs> so even like the things I was saying about capitalism, I'm not, I'm criticizing something I'm involved in. It's of course. like, I think if you are like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I train all the time and I criticize it all the time because I think it is your responsibility where if you're involved in something, you should be the first one to call out any problems that yeah. you see in it. Absolutely. Whereas, Whereas if you leave it to the other guy, then by the time they notice something, it's already too late. And you've already seen, I, 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 I actually, I don't know if you know about it, but Brazilian just had all these like scandals a couple of years ago with the raping and all this. Did, yeah, you know, yeah, totally, totally. It was really bad. Well, again, it's cult of personality. It's yeah. like when you have the school teacher who's like the Dodger owner who's seen as this revered figure. Yeah. You give that much power to people. You gave people who are vulnerable who exactly get, oh, I got something awesome from this place and this guy. I'm learning these things yeah. that make me feel so great. And so you give them more and more power until it's not a good place. Yeah. I think there's a difference between being involved with something and being involved with an echo chamber. Totally. I'm involved with something, but that doesn't mean I signed up for an echo chamber. If yeah. I see something wrong, you call it. Then you call it out. Absolutely. I think people develop emotional attachment where it's really unwarranted. Why would you develop an emotional attachment to, I mean, even take something like, okay, we call this the drunken Taoist. I got no emotional attachment to Taoism. You know what I mean? I like it. It's yeah. cool. It serves me well. But if it doesn't, I can drop it in a heartbeat because yeah. it's, not a, it's not about, I owe my allegiance to a label. Fuck that. Yeah. My allegiance to being happy. You know what it is? It's like We're I, not even drunk very often. Right, exactly. It's like, <laughs> so it's like, it's sort of the thing where it's like, people get too attached sometimes to something that worked for them and then they want it. it rather than, it, it's, it goes back to water and pitcher kind of image, right? Rather than remembering that what you're really valuing is the water you got out of it is, 
let me worship this sacred picture who delivered it and it's so amazing it is like yeah but now it's cracked and it has a hole in it and all yeah. the water is falling out you don't need to stay still stuck to that picture it was good it was yeah. nice but you're not serving anybody by Go carrying get you a new it. one yeah exactly it's like so i think that's part of the problem bertrand russell he's a mathematician and a philosopher he gave this i, I believe it's him who gave the example of the turkey and the farmer's wife but it's to your point where whenever the farmer's wife came she brought food for the turkey so the turkey's like oh i want food farmer's wife is connected to the food right but what really matters is the food so every time the farmer's wife came the turkey mistook that for food until one day the turkey ran out to meet the farmer's wife and the farmer's wife wrung his neck of right? course because what mattered was the food yeah. not the farmer's wife yeah. sometimes that thing is it overlapped or it's important but yeah. it's not the same thing absolutely yeah. No, that's what it is. And uh, there's this, it's like, it's a virus of the mind to mistake one for the other. And it seems to affect everybody to one degree or another. And it's useful to recognize it so that you don't, because again, otherwise drink the Kool-Aid is around the corner and it's never a good thing right there. But um, anything else that you want to touch on before we wrap things up? I, I want to ask from his finance sure. and from his, you know, dalliances in uh, capitalism, this notion of uh, adding workers to the board of directors and the insane notion of when a dividend is paid, maybe 30% of that goes to the workers. Those seems like if you want capitalism to keep going, A, it would stimulate the economy in an incredible way. But are the greedy owners so stuck in their ways that they wouldn't want to give up anything and... It's an oh, yeah, impossibility. They're not give up. But to make the to your point, that would, I believe, conceivably, if we believe in free markets and capitalism and the actual tenets that Adam Smith talked about, if we believe that at all, then that actually would work great because it's called incentives. You're yep. incentivizing certain behaviors, right? But will people do that? I don't know. Probably not. Uh, but a lot of what made people think Europe is really bad at capitalism because they think of them as more socialistic, but it's like, no, they're really good at capitalism. They're really good capitalists because they have like these tiny countries and they think, oh, they could do more socialistic things because they are so small. And it's like, no, because they are so small, they have to, they have to rejigger their capitalism so they don't get killed by these giant countries with giant GDPs because they were going to get steamrolled. Yeah. So one of the biggest problems in capitalism is something called capital flight. You don't want your, I'm Switzerland and I have our version of Apple. You don't want it to leave. You need that to make wealth of nations. You need it to make the country rich. So they develop these systems so that their country can compete with the big boys. And that's why it ended up evolving into what we look at now, which is social democracy yeah. and capitalism, which has a lot of those incentivized behaviors and uh, like those profit sharings. A lot of those ideas are not status. They're actually anarcho. They're what you would call anarcho-syndicalism. So what, the, what would that look like? That could, that's like an American company called REI does that. REI is an actual corporation. It's a big business. It, it always has profit. It always makes money, but it's, it does have a, a, a head, a CEO, but they're voted up by everybody. All employees are also employee owners. Yes. That is an idea of like this more anarcho version of capitalism. So people think if you gave out more power to the individual, it's anti-capitalist, but actually that was the original tenet to make it a level playing field because 
Adam Smith, before he wrote that book, he wrote this other book called uh, Theory, I believe, Theory of Moral Sentiments. So he was trying to figure out a more equitable, more moral way for people to live. So he's like, feudalism, mercantilism, it's not so good. How do we get everybody to like, where's on base, best talent? So that's how he came up with capitalism. Yep. Where now you could, be a, you could patent troll and patent all this stuff so that nobody can innovate, right? Whereas everybody was allowed to do, do a real open market of ideas Everybody could be a tinker. Everybody gets to, to innovate like pre-industrial revolution where everybody got to be making stuff. Like yeah. we could have that, but we can't because of patents. And we have the same thing where lawsuits, all these stuff stops innovation. So you think big business pushes innovation. It's more like, no, they're saying only they get to innovate and it can't be an open market where we all get to innovate. And then see, let's see what's really the best, right? Farmers in India being crushed by Monsanto would not agree. <laughs> yeah. But... To, to before we wrap it up, I think it's important that one of the things I learned from my journey leaving the bank and how it all led to this was I really had to lean deep on my philosophy. So I wasn't even that philosophical at the beginning, but when I had it taught you to talk about people you, you were mentioning earlier about you have no allegiance to Taoism, mm -hmm. but people will be dogmatic and have allegiances even with their diets, things that yeah. sh they shouldn't have allegiances with. And I think it's not just you can't just tell people to stop doing that or give them examples of how that could hurt them. Those are all true. But I think this is where philosophy can help more than just self-help kind of philosophy, but the actual inquiry part of philosophy where you have to think about things deeply. And, and use philosophy to finally give up these ideas that are no longer serving you. Yeah. Because it can't be like, I'm going to give you like eight rules to live by, and that's it. But you're going to try to apply those eight rules while keeping all your old bad ideas. You need a way to <laughs> get rid of those old bad ideas that are no longer serving you. And this is where I think regular philosophy, there's, so there's two kinds of philosophy, like stoicism or, or certain parts of Zen Buddhism where it's more about how to live your life. But the other side of philosophy where a lot of people think has no purpose the inquiry part i'm saying it does have a purpose where that served me really well because somebody like david hume i actually got into philosophy the hard way where i didn't start from intro and work my way up i got into all the hard stuff first and i was like i have a really hard time understanding this yeah. so i went back and then but one of the guys that really helped me is this guy named david hume mm -hmm. where he was like if you change your opinion about something this is really good for me. If I stop thinking that, he's like, will the water taste any different? Will, I game of, will my game of backgammon be any different? Like nothing changes. You just change the, an opinion in your mind and that's it. Nothing material change. Your life is still gonna be okay. You will be okay. And even though that sounds so obvious, that's really hard to commit to. So that's where it helps, where we have these ideas in our head and we're so conditioned we've held on to them so long there are little darlings. We have such a hard time letting them go, even though they're not serving us. Like your uh, uh, example you gave about addiction or somebody who has been in an abusive relationship, you gotta let it go, but it's hard to. And a lot of times you can't just pry people away because they'll just run back and double down. You have to sometimes, the only way out of certain bad ideas, you have to think your way out of them. And so these people are like, let me teach you how to think. Cause we think that thinking is automatic. And we, it is automatic to a lot of sense, but good thinking is not necessarily automatic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to be taught. We think, like I, I, I was mentioning, I, I privately train people. 
one of the things because my I also I nerd up in everything. So not only in nutrition, even biomechanics. I mm -hmm. really studied every book about biomechanics and, and physics and levers. So one of the things I teach people is how to walk so that they could walk the rest of their life without pain. And then from there, I could graduate them up to proper running mechanics. Actually, if you want to see really good running mechanics, look at triathletes because they have to do so much other shit. Their running better be damn efficient. So they actually run more efficiently than marathon runners, right? So I'm not saying I invented my own way. I'm teaching people proper biomechanics, but we even take that for granted. We think we know how to run or walk, and you do. But do you know how to do it really well? This is where somebody else can come in and help guide you. Same thing with thinking. Yes, you know how to think. You know how to think pretty well. But do you know how to really think critically and, and assess your own biases? Because when we learn about a bias online through a meme or whatever, the first thing we want, we want to do is call somebody out on their biases. Oh, you're using this logic fallacy. Dude, you're supposed to use that on yourself first. That exists because you're supposed to self-examine yourself. That's the whole point of philosophy is self-examination, is self right? So you need sometimes somebody to help you do that. You could create your own philosophy, but one of the problems where, where you did it wholly from a vacuum by yourself is that a lot of times it's incoherent. And the problem with incoherence is sometimes we were saying in a vacuum, even a bad idea is better than no idea. Well, even if I have this idea of every test, multiple choice test, I'm going to put C all the way down. That's not a great idea. But just because of consistency, I will get a certain amount yeah, right. Totally. Whereas if you just come up with a vacuum and, and you just come up with your own incoherent thing, you could keep switching around and you will actually, you could, you could very high probability get every answer wrong because you were so inconsistent with your answers. So, and good philosophy or good thinking is where, okay, now I could get most of these right. But what my point is, is that Coherence and consistency is also part of why you need other people to help you or you read these ideas because they stress test your ideas. And we need that because if you don't stress test it, you're going to pop all around. You're going to keep switching. If I kept saying whenever you flip the coin heads, 50% of the time I'll be right. Whereas if I kept sw switching willy-nilly. Could be higher, could be lower. And right. that, that, that quarter might be rigged. So if I'm critically aware enough that this thing is rigged, then I can nail it every time because I know how the game is rigged. I know what I know and I know what I don't know versus being completely inconsistent. That's, and that's what gambling is about. They want you to have a completely incoherent uh, way of thinking about things, right? So even in poker, they call this uh, game theory optimized. Game theory, which is like mm -hmm. a part of philosophy called probability theory, where you figure out the things you know and you also price in the things you don't know to make the best decisions. So that's the problem with a lot of like self-development or, or self-help du jour that's out there where they're just telling you these rules. You don't know the system well enough. You just use that thing blanket and you don't know how to use it in every context and it might not be appropriate. You need to be your own individual being where like you have to, all of our dreams of AI, you have to be that thing first. Like we think, Oh, can they ever catch up to us? Like the Turing test is a test of like if AI has sentience. I don't even know if most of us can pass the Turing <laughs> test. They might think that we're chatbots, right? <laughs> so what we ultimately want to get to is that same level of sentience where we can self-learn and we can adapt on our own, right? And, and you need a lot of help for that. So the same thing as AI has a lot of programmers helping them at the beginning. We need uh, better thinkers than us. So that's why I love reading old books 
because not only am I learning from my lifetime, I'm learning from somebody else's lifetime. And secondly, I'm having a conversation with somebody, you know, I I love the guys I train with, but a lot of them are meatheads. Whereas now through books or through works or through podcasts, I'm able to have a conversation with somebody I would have never been able to meet in in real life or maybe because they're dead, right? So they've left a legacy. And speaking of conversation, then you may want to start striking up a conversation with Mr. Sam Yang on Mass Triumph Podcast, right? So yeah, check it out. I enjoyed every episode I've listened so far, and I listened to most of them. So big time, check it out. Thank you so much for playing with us today. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you for having me. Anything else? Facebook, Twitter? Yeah, I'm on all of that. Um, Must Triumph was actually taken on some of the platforms. So on Bastards. Twitter... On Twitter and Instagram, I'm uh, Stuff From Sam. And cool. then you can find me on Facebook, <laughs> Must Triumph and MustTriumph.com. And iTunes, Spotify, everything else. You can find my podcast, Must Triumph by Sam Yang. Funky music means one thing, and that's the end of another fine episode of the Drunken Taoist Podcast. A great conversation and visit with Sam. That was a good time. He's a smart cat. Uh, Be sure to catch his Must Triumph podcast out there on the internet. I'm sure you can Google that up and hunt it down. Sam Yang, Must Triumph Podcast. So without any further ado, let's get to the most important things, and that is the fine folks, your fellow listeners, who have donated to help us keep this ongoing concern concerned. Let the pottering begin. Let's screw up some names. Frederico Rosie, Michael Allen, Jim D'Amico, Matt Shebert, Shebert, Sherbert, Shebert, sorry about that, Ross Cranham, Janie Lina, oh my, Linima, Janie Linima, and Aaron Wisner. How about that? Thank you so much. Everybody feel free. There's a donate button on the website homepage. Give it a click and send us a few bucks. It's, uh, you know, maybe time for a soon-to-be New Year's uh, drink. You can send us uh, 10 bucks for a couple of cheap drinks at a cheap bar, and we'll go sip those down and report back. Thanks so much as always, everybody. It is surely appreciated. Okay, to get us out the door, quickly, the sponsor, Holy Trinity, Chris O'Dell and the fine folks at Dots Sarah, hemp backpacks and geese and all kinds of awesome things like that. DSgear.com, our good friends at Onnit.com, Aubrey Marcus and all those folks there putting together human optimization things from fine supplements to awesome workout gear and all kinds of things in between, especially buffalo bars and nutty stuff like that. Check out the massive website, Onnit.com. Our friends at Sure Design T-shirts, all kinds of awesome T-shirts, designs, colors, even crazy harem pants and things you never even thought you needed waiting for you there. Go give them a check out. Uh, a shout to our friends at NeverTapGear.com, knee braces, Savannah's Cool Rash Guard, all kinds of goodies like that. The fine folks at SnowRoast.com, and their small batch coffee made mile high in the air. What cannot be good about that? It's kind of smells like they can sense coffee in the air just thinking about it. And as always, the fine folks at Daisy House and their awesome music, our fine theme songs from them. They have, I think, five albums out right now. And there's a lot of cool songs in there. So I would definitely invite you to go give Doug and his daughter a listen. 
And that's about it. That's all I can think of. That's that's our list of goodies. We sure appreciate you listening. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. And uh, make sure you get out there and vote. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dallas Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Danielli at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-L-E-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at RichieMon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! I don't want to hear this. No, you don't. <laughs> in questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, huh? Oh, man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great. Fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been yeah, having a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. Completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're right? outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's so. Let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and uh, uh, your accent? It just whatever that movie is you were trying to tell can me. Can you about. translate for me, please? I believe the word was tombstone. Yeah, that one exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought. <coughs> sorry. Well. <coughs> We'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> no, that's maybe too powerful. <laughs> what do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. <laughs> <laughs>